Uh, welcome everyone to our Wednesday night service. Um, I'd like to start off with a prayer before we begin in class. So would you pray with me, please? <clears throat> Dear God in heaven, we're so thankful for this day. We're so thankful for uh, all of us being here tonight. I know a lot of us uh, can't attend uh, under this weather and because of the pandemic, but we're so happy uh that those of us that are here tonight can study your word and to look into your word and try to understand better how to live our lives uh, before you. Uh, bless us as we go through this lesson. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Just want to welcome everyone to our Wednesday night service. And especially as you see the slide, I want to uh, say happy holidays to each of you. Um, uh, in town, I'm so glad the mask mandate is over. I think we can celebrate that. I look forward to seeing uh, faces out there in the audience instead of masks. I know that uh, some of us have better presentation faces than others, so I uh, look forward to seeing you uh, without your mask sometime in the future, and hopefully uh, you can handle me tonight. <laughs> uh, I love this time of year. Um, I think all of us love this time of year. Uh, it's a time of Thanksgiving, a uh, time of Christmas, a time of remembering, a time of good food, um, a time of being with family and friends. And tonight, in this holiday season, I want to tell, talk about two, two holiday stories. Uh, one you're very familiar with, and one you may not be that familiar with. So... Uh, We'll just get into it right away. I, I, first, I want to talk about um, a holiday that's based uh, on events during this 400-year uh, period of silence. I don't know if you guys know that between the Old Testament of Malachi and the book of Matthew, there was 400 years, 400 years of basically God not being involved scripturally with his people. Um, the end of the Old Testament to 6 BC, the birth of Christ, uh, 400 long years uh, without a lot of activity. But a lot of happened during this period of time. Um, a lot of things happened in Jewish history. Uh, the Pharisees became prominent. The Sadducees came in to the scene. Uh, the synagogue became a focal point of Jewish community. Um, to understand the first century when Christ was there, you really need to know what happened uh, during this period of time. Uh, you know, something else. At the time of Christ, God was not directly involved with the Jews, as we said, during this 400-year period. So what, what did the people of Israel think at that time? Uh, m many of us think the same way today, that God is not involved with the community anymore, that God is not involved with us. What happened 400 years ago was things that happened in the past, but today God doesn't work that way anymore. And that's what we feel too, right? God worked thousands of years ago, but today he's not involved with us. And that's certainly not the case. And But those what the, that's what the people of that day thought too. Um, uh, during this period of history, uh, we're going to look at... Uh, countries and the activities that happened in the area of Judea. And at this point in time, 36 BC, uh, Philip ruled the country of Macedonia and Greece, and his goal was to take Hellenism or Greek culture to the world. Uh, Philip dies, and his son, you may recognize this statue, 
uh, his son Alexander came to the throne. And Alexander was Alexander the Great, a great warrior and one on a, a campaign he passed through Palestine in 332 B.C. going to conquer Egypt. So uh, Alexander the Great was involved with the part of the world that we're familiar with as Judea. Alexander fights a few years and then dies at the young age of 32. And at this time, there was turmoil because Alexander had no successors, no children. So all these territories you see here was, was the conquering countries uh, that Alexander oversaw. His territories were, end up being divided into to his four generals, uh, one of which was Ptolemy, who took over Egypt, and another one uh, which included Palestine. And because Palestine was far enough away from Egypt, he gave the responsibility uh, to one of his other generals, a guy named Seleucus, Seleucid. Um, and over time, you see Seleucid here and Ptolemy, they, they kept fighting over this portion of the world called Judea or Israel or Palestine. Now, why would they fight over this area? Because there was travel routes and trade routes through there. They were very important to trade and financial uh, Issues, So they kept fighting over this small little place called Judea. Uh, Ptolemy, when he was in charge of Palestine, allowed the Jews that lived there to practice their religion and live the way they wanted. So the guy in Egypt, when he conquered that area, let the Jews uh, follow God and follow their, their practices. But when Seleucids came in and were in charge and took over that area... They liked Hellenism. So they tried to convert all the people to the Greek way of life. Because of this, Seleucid, everything about Greek, the Greek way of life was superior. When Ptolemy was in control, the people lived as they wanted to. When Seleucid was in control, they forced Hellenism upon the people. Um, Finally, he beats, Israel, he beats the Egyptians and gets control of Israel. And he comes to Israel where it says he is warmly received. Um, does this sound right? Does it sound right that the Greeks would be warmly received after they came uh, to Israel? It doesn't sound right to me. But that's what, uh, that's what Josephus says when he talks about them coming into the country. He says, Antiochus, which was uh, the Greek uh, ruler at the time, subdued the cities of Celestria with, and, uh, and Celestria, and had taken possession of Samaria with him. The Jews and their own accord went over to him and received him in the city and gave him plenty of provisions for all his army and his elephants and readily assisted him when he was besieged the garrison, which was at the citadel of Jerusalem. Now, why would the Jews welcome the Greeks into their country? Well, not all, not all the Jews followed God. And not all of the Jews thought following God was the way they should go. In fact, because they, some opposed Hellenism, especially some of the leaders of the day, thought that, hey, we need to get modern. We need to get with it. We need to be like everybody else, right? We need to be like the Greeks. And so some of the Jews welcomed uh, the Greeks' culture into their city. Um, but not all. And there was another group that said, no, no, we need to be faithful to the laws and the religious observances of the culture that God has given us. We need to follow the Bible. 
We need to be faithful to our ancestors. We need to be faithful to God that led, uh, that led us out of Egypt and gave us the promised land. And the name of this group was the Hasidim. The Hasidim. The Hasidim means purists or the ones that follow God, what God gave them. Today, uh, we call these people what? You, it's a familiar name you might know. The Hasidic Jews, right? Who are the Hasidic Jews? The Hasidic Jews are the faithful Jews, the religious Jews, the ones that are dedicated to uh, the Old Testament. Um, the Pharisees were the, the precursors to the Has- Hasidim, were the forerunners of the Pharisees, excuse me. So in seven, 178 B.C., Antiochus uh, takes over for his father, and after his father dies, and Antiochus IV grew up in Rome and spent his early life adopting Greek culture and Hellenism. In fact, after losing a battle with Ptolemy, he comes to Jerusalem and he's so mad that he's offers, he offers pigs on the altar of the temple. Do you think this is offensive to the Jews? It's very offensive to Jews. Now, what is Hellenism? Hellenism is the practice primarily centered around polytheistic and animalistic worship, devoting worship to the Greek gods, which comprise of the Olympians, the divinities, divinites and the spirits of nature such as nymph and the underworld so it's all multiples of God that you guys may be familiar with with Greek culture and that's what they forced the Jews to follow uh, so Antiochus sent a philosopher to Jerusalem and this philosopher sets up a statue to the god Zeus in the temple court he begins to offer pigs every day on the altar Antiochus sends an army and they tell the Jews that if you circumcise your children, your sons, you will be put to death. If you observe the Sabbath, you will be put to death. If you keep any of the Jewish festivals, you will be put to death. If you keep any of the Jewish laws, you will be put to death. So Antiochus comes to the throne and calls himself Epiphanes which means the illustrious one. He called himself the illustrious one. The Jews called him Epinemes, which means madman. As we said, many of the Jewish leaders are buying into this Hellenism. Uh, They were buying into all of this, and they were telling everyone that they had to get with it. They had to get modern. But the average Jew, especially the Hasidim, could not stand it at all. So this story is found in Maccabees. Now, the book of Maccabees was written uh, at this time, and it's an apocryphal book. An apocryphal book isn't recognized as being inspired, but apocryphal book, in this case, is historical. So we want to read some of the Maccabees to get an understanding about what happened in this intertestinal period and how that affects uh, the first century. So, uh, Maccabees 1... Six, uh, chapter 1, 60 through 64 says this. According to the decree, they put to death the women who had their children circumcised. This is the Jews. And their families and those who circumcised them, and they hung the infants from their mother's necks. But many in Israel stood firm and were resolved in their heart not to eat unclean food. They chose to die rather than to be defiled by food or to be, or profane the holy covenant, and they did die. And very great wrath came upon Israel. 
So this seems extreme. Antiochus the force comes in, conquers Israel, gets rid of Ptolemy out, and what does he do? He forces everyone into Hellenism, and if they try to follow uh, the God of Israel and to do the word and follow the word of, of the God of Israel and do the practices like circumcision and other things, they were put to death. Here's a photo. Can't see all of this, but this is mayhem around the temple where they're uh, attacking the Israelites and killing the Israelites uh, as they try to worship God. So it came to pass that seven brethren and their mother were taken and compelled the king against the law to taste swine's flesh and were tormented with scourge and whips. But one of them that spake first said, Thou wouldest that they ask us to learn from us? Are we ready to die rather than to transgress the laws of our fathers? Then the king, being enraged, commanded pans and cauldrons to be made hot. And he heated them, and he commanded them to cut the tongue of him that spake first. And the rest of his brethren and the mothers looked on. And when he was thus maimed and all his members, he, he commanded, he commanded him to be yet to be brought alive into the fire and to be fried into the pan. As the vapors of the pan was, was for a good space dispersed, they exhorted one another with, with a mother to die manfully, saying thus, The Lord God looked upon us and in truth has comforted us. As Moses in his song with a witness in their faces declared, saying, And he shall be comforted in his servants. Antiochus IV was bent on converting the entire country of Palestine, Israel, to the point of torture. 168 B.C. Antiochus subjects are on the campaign to convert an entire country, and they came to the small community north of Jerusalem called Modin. I had a map here somewhere <laughs> with that on it. I've never heard of Modin. It's not in the Bible, but if you can, you can find it on maps. It's just north north and east, north and west of Jerusalem, and it's still there today. So this small little town, uh, Antiochus comes to, and he wants someone to sacrifice uh, before the Greek gods. So the inventory of Antiochus IV sets up an altar in this community, and to get them to conform to the sacrifice of the Greek gods. So they look around and they find the oldest guy, respected man of the community, a man named Matthias. And they told Matthias, you go first and offer the pagan sacrifice to be the example. But Matthias refuses. Matthias refuses because he's Hasidim. He's dedicated to God. And this is what he says. But Matthias answered and said in a loud voice, Even if all the nations that live under the rule of this obey the king of the king, obey him, and have chosen to do his commandments, departing each one from the religion of his fathers, yet I and my sons and my brothers will live by the covenant of our fathers. Far be it from us to desert the law and the ordinances. We will not obey the king's words by turning aside from our religion to the right hand or to the left and when he had finished speaking these words a Jew came forward in the sight of all to sacrifice upon the altar in Modin according to the king's commands so Matthias refused He's, the emissary comes and demands that he sacrificed to the Greek gods he refuses and he says my son's going to refuse we're not going to do that but here someone else steps forward another Jew steps forward to make the sacrifice right what happens next? 
When Messiah saw it, he burned with zeal, and his heart was stirred. He gave vent to righteous anger. He ran and killed him upon the altar. He killed the Jew upon the altar. At the same time, he killed the king's officers, who was forcing them to sacrifice, and tore down the altar. And thus he burned with zeal for the law, as Phoebus and Zerari, the son of Saul. And then Matthias cried out in the city with a loud voice, saying, Let everyone who has zeal... Who, has, who is zealous for the law and supports the covenant, come with me. And he and his sons fled to the hills and left all they had in the city. So what happened? The uh, Greek uh, ruler came, sent his army into Modin. Modin, uh, the, the king's uh, servant, demanded that Matthias take a sacrifice to the Greek gods. He refuses Another Jew steps forward afraid that they're going to uh, be, be compelled to uh, attack them. And if they don't do a sacrifice, he steps forward to sacrifice. Matthias is enraged, kills the Jew, and kills some of the king's men. And then they, they leave the city in, in fear for their lives. Matthias soon was an old man when this took place. And he doesn't last very long out on the run. By the way, Matthias' family was named Hasmo. You may remember the Hasmoneans were precursors to the Sadducees in the temple. So Matthias dies, and the leadership goes to his five boys. But before he dies, he appoints Judas as the rightful leader. Now, Judas' nickname was Maccabeus, which means the hammer. And if you're going to be a warrior, that's a great name to have, the hammer. He was, and he turned out to be a great leader. So Judas led a small army of Jews against the Greeks. He began guerrilla warfare against Antiochus and his crowd so that they, with their small band, from, go from village to village, killing all of Antiochus' men. One by one, the Jews follows him along. They began these attacks, running back to the hills. Soon they began to clean up on the Greeks throughout the country. They also started to begin to get a following of all the, the Hasidim in the area and those that were zealous to, for keeping God's laws and throwing out the armies of Antiochus. Finally, in 164 B.C., they get to Jerusalem. <coughs> And there was a garrison there of Antiochus fourth, and they fought and defeated them. And then they came to the temple where they were shocked. The altar had been covered in pig's blood, and weeds had grown up in the temple courts. Then Judas said to his brothers, Behold, our enemies are crushed. Let us go up and cleanse the sanctuary and dedicate it. So all the army assembly went up and they went to Mount Zion and they saw the sanctuary desolate, the altar profaned, the gates burned. In the courts they saw bushes sprung up as a thicket or as one in the mountains. They saw also the chambers of the priest in ruins. Then they rent their clothes and mourned with great lament and sprinkled themselves with ashes. They fell down on the ground and, and sounded the signal on the trumpets and cried to heaven. Then Judas detailed men to fight against those in the citadel until he had cleansed the sanctuary. And they took hewn stones as the law decreed. 
Drex and build a new altar like the former one. And they also rebuilt the sanctuary and the inner temple and consecrated the courts. And they made a new holy vessel and brought the lampstand, the altar of incense, and the table into the temple. So, they celebrated the, the dedication of the altar for eight days and offered offerings with gladness. They offered a sacrifice of deliverance of praise. They dedicated the front of the temple with golden crowns, small shields. They restored the gates and the chambers for the priests and furnished them with doors. There were great, there were very great gladness among the people and the reproach of the Gentiles was removed. Then Judas and his brothers and all the assembly of Israel determined that every year, that season, the days of dedication of the altar should be observed with gladness and joy for eight days beginning with the 25th day of the month. So the Talmud provides more information about this story that Josephus in the book of Maccabees does not. The Talmud tells us that when they reestablished the temple and were ready to burn the menorah, which is the lampstand from the temple, they only had enough oil for one day, olive oil, which it needs to be purified. It took eight days to purify the olive oil so it would burn and richly purify it. Since they could just go out and buy the olive oil after they cleansed the temple, they got some olive oil and started the purification process. And the oil they did have, instead of lasting only one day, lasted eight full days. And so God blessed them in their efforts and, and performed a miracle, giving them eight days of light. So, this festival, as we know it, the festival, the Feast of Dedication, or the Festival of Lights, or today, Hanukkah, uh, celebrated November 28th through December 6th, eight days long. The New Testament scriptures only provide a limited note about this festival. We can read it from John uh, 10.22. It says just this two sentences. And at that time, the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple courts in, Sol- in Solomon's colonnade. So Jews today still celebrate Hanukkah by lighting the menorah and giving gifts and remembering the story of the Maccabees. This is what happened, a major story during the intertestamental period that affects the New Testament and what we know about the time of Christ. Our next holiday story. You may be a little more familiar with this one. This time of year brings back so many memories of Christmas past. Traveling to relatives, spending time with family, big family dinners, singing Christmas carols, the celebration and remembrance of Christ's birth. The whole world everywhere looks at it, it seems, every peop- all, all peoples are looking about the savior of the world. I was just down in Texas with, uh, with Mitchell, picking Mitchell up from Abilene Christian University. We spent a couple nights with my sister and brother-in-law in Georgetown, Texas, uh, which is just outside of Austin. They happened to have tickets, extra tickets, <laughs> to the musical production, The Messiah. Now, I have never been to The Messiah before. In fact, I'm so attuned to what's going on here, I didn't even know <laughs> what happened during the Messiah. Uh, so we went, not understanding exactly what we were going to see. Uh, and it was a first for Mitchell and I. So we were uh, 
interested in what was going to happen. And as Laura would say, I need culture anytime I can get it. So, uh, so we went. And I will say for the first time that I was shocked. And I talked it over with my brother-in-law. Um, if you know the production of the Messiah, the entire production, and this is, Messiahs are done worldwide, and they're very popular. And uh, many, many thousands and thousands of people go to the production of the Messiah. The entire production is the singing of scriptures right out of God's Word. Every song, every verse is scriptures directly from God's Word. Verses like, He was despised and rejected by men. He was like sheep. He, we like sheep have gone astray. For unto a child is born, unto a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Scriptures being sung while we were there for an hour and a half. <laughs> great music, great chorus, very interesting. But uh, we had a, um, a manual for the production, and you could follow along and read all the scriptures that they were singing. I was certainly amazed. The world celebrates this season and the many de- uh, depictions of Christ and Jesus in the manger. If the angels had come to announce Jesus' birth, I know they would sing, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. The story from the Bible says this, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son. And they called his name Emmanuel, which, being interpreted, is God with us. In the sixth months, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin pledged in a marriage to a man named Joseph, who was of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. The angel appeared to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled in his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. So the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive and give birth birth to a son, and you are to give him his name, Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him and embraced Mary, his wife. Now in those days there was a decree that went out from Caesar Augustus that a census should be taken of the whole empire. This was the first census to be taken place while Quinarius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph went to Nazareth in Galilee, to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem. Since he was from the house of the line of David, he went there to register with Mary, who has pledged him in marriage and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came the child to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn. A son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in the manger because there was no room for him in the inn. And there were shepherds residing in the field nearby, keeping watch over the flocks by night. Just then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. 
But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all peoples. Today in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in a swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with angels a great multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men whom his favor rests. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who is born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And having come to the house, they found the child with his mother Mary, and have fallen down, they worshipped him, and having opened their treasures, they offered gifts to him. Myrrh, gold, myrrh, and frankincense. I like seeing some of the na- uh, nativity scenes around. I uh, just saw one on the way to church tonight. Um, it's interesting, down the road from us, there is a live nativity scene. Um, I haven't seen anybody there recently, but it may be because of the cold weather. But uh, even when you drive by on a normal night, they look pretty cold. Um, at our house, uh, we don't have an nativity scene, but we have lights. Uh, we did have a couple reindeer, uh, but all the bulbs burned out. Um, do you guys have that problem? Uh, I think the bulbs after six months expire because I take mine down. They're all working. I take mine down after the year. I put them in a bag. I bring them, put them up the next year. I plug them in and they don't work. <laughs> so they must expire. I think it's a conspiracy. Uh, we don't have a sit nativity scene at church here. We could. Uh, this is a great time of year to remember Christ coming into the world. Um, when Mitchell was a little boy, he used to say, are we going to get one of those? I don't think we should have, I think we should have a nativity scene, not just at Christmas time, but all year round. That's what he said when he was small. How cute. And yet, have you noticed, sometimes we as Christians this time of year sit so silent. Uh, while other people, churches have lights and celebrations, nativity or other events, we seem to sit by uh, ignoring the whole event. Um, If anyone should be celebrating and remembering and telling people why Christ came to this earth uh, during this year, it should be us, God's people. We We don't know what day Jesus was born. We're not commanded to celebrate his birth. There's no scripture example that commands us. But as far as my heart's concerned, that's not relevant. In every occasion, let us give thanks and praise to God especially for the arrival of his son on this earth. Amen. Some uh, carols. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And in heaven and earth and nature sing. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace. 
Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. People around the world are singing these songs this season. Let's join them in that. And suddenly there appeared with angels a great multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Let's bow in prayer. Our most gracious God and Father, we're so thankful for this time of year where we especially remember your Son coming into the world. Um, we're so thankful for your Son being here for the life he lived, the example he gave, and for him dying on the cross for us. We're especially mindful this time of year of all these things and what a blessing it is for us to be your children. Help us to tell others about that. Help us to have a heart that shows the love we have for you to those around us. Help us as we go from here to celebrate uh, Christ's coming and especially for his return. Uh, we're thankful for all you give us each day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.